According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. We are in Philippians 1 tonight, although questions and answers may take us elsewhere. First, when we conclude the uh, Q&A time, then uh, we will be in Philippians chapter 1. I did listen to the MP3 files while I was out of the country, so I think I'm caught up in current. I believe uh, Lewis did not take any questions. <laughs> so, you may be, uh, you may be in, uh, you've got a stockpile of questions that have been waiting for the last three weeks, and that's fine. I appreciate that. Let me open us up with a word of prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll get right to it, shall we pray? Almighty Father, we thank you for your truth, we thank you for your faithfulness, and Father, uh, we thank you for your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. His name is faithful and true. And Father, tonight we're delighted to uh, come before you and study to show ourselves approved when we call upon your faithfulness, Father, to open the eyes of our understanding and to bless our, our study in your truth. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All righty. We have a microphone ready to go, and someone want the first question? We'll give Bill the first question over there then. Push the button. Okay. Um, basically, I got a, kind of two questions, uh, quite simple, I think. Um, the first one is... Uh, it come to memory when we were talking about earlier about the King James Bible and things like that. Mm-hmm. When I was, <clears throat> when I was doing research to find out what type of Bible I knew I wanted NASB, but I didn't know exactly where. And I uh, come across this website that had um, basically a chart with two arrows, you know, left and right. And it was judging or basically saying this Bible is more accurate than this Bible. Mm-hmm. So my question is, we've always known that, you know, the King James Version was supposedly like the gold standard of all Bibles. Um, What makes the NASB more accurate to the original language is about when did it come around to, you know, into its its existence, basically? Uh Oh, yeah, yeah. Great question. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the King James Bible reigned supreme for 300 years, you know, and, and it had various editions and updates and changes because the original 1611 was, frankly, a mess. Um, it was translated from a very limited number of manuscripts, and uh, they were able to add additional manuscripts uh, for later uh, editions and, and, and so forth. Uh, it's still fine if, if you like Elizabethan English, <laughs> if you're a big Shakespeare fan or, or uh, you're okay with, with that. Uh, but for for most of us who aren't too proficient in Elizabethan English, then uh, a more modern translation is usually useful. Um, beyond that, then there's uh, the manuscript question: What is the what are the manuscripts they choose to translate for the Old Testament and the New Testament? And I think uh, really the the papyri discoveries and the other manuscript discoveries that archaeology unfolded in the 19th and 20th centuries. Uh, lends itself to the uh, the Holman, the New American Standard, the New King James, uh, more the modern texts that, that make use of the better uh, archaeological discoveries and the better manuscript traditions. So that's why I prefer those. And then I think really it comes down to what is the translation philosophy? Are they trying for a literal 
word-for-word literal translation. Uh, that sometimes that's, that's better. Sometimes it's not very readable because trying to bring it across word-for-word from another language doesn't always work in the, re- the recipient language. You know? So um, that's why I think the, uh, the Holman has done a better job for readability. And, and now the, the successor to the Holman is called the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. And, uh, and I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it for devotional reading. and other. I, I don't think I'll change my pulpit Bible. It's kind of hard after 5,300 times in the pulpit to, to just switch Bibles all of a sudden. But, but for, um, for devotional reading and other recreational reading, I've, I have been enjoying the Christian Standard Bible. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Um, one more. What's the difference between a translation and a transliteration? Oh, okay, yeah, transliteration is, there's no transliterated Bible. A transliteration of a, of a, of a passage or a verse, all that transliterate means is you're, you're taking words and giving them letters in another language. So taking a Greek word and giving it English letters, which are really Latin letters, okay? So that's, that's the difference there. What's that? Oh, that's a transliteration? Philippians is a transliteration. Okay. Baptize. Yeah, there's a lot of, of words like that that come into the English from other languages. And they're not even English words, but they kind of come into English use. So, all right. Eliezer has a question. Yes, sir. Um, my question is from number 17 um, and verse 8. Okay. Where there's this chapter about um, the Lord asks them to bring a stick, and each one brings a stick with the name of the tribe. Uh-huh. And uh, for the tribe of uh, Levi, it says to write the name of Aaron, and finally that stick ends up blossoming, the famous almond blossoms. Mm-hmm. So my question is, um, is there s- more significance than at the surface in terms of why it brought forth almonds and the particular significance of the almonds in there in that chapter? or Probably. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm going to make myself a note. And, um, yeah, I'm going to make myself a note and give a better answer next week because it's been a while since I've looked at this particular um, passage. Um, Because we discussed almonds, I want to say we discussed it in the Galatians series at some point. But anyway, I'll look this up and have a better answer for you next week. and of course, the rod that budded was part of the testimony, and it was kept in the Ark of the Covenant, and it was part of their heritage. Uh, but the significance of almonds, I'm, I'm just forgetting off the top of my head tonight. So I'll, I'll get that ready for next week. Flag this with a red, and flag it with a question mark. And that's my clue to uh, not forget before next Wednesday night. <laughs> all right, thank you. All the nutritionists have been saying for a long time uh-huh. that the almond is the most nutritious. See, God knows that. Oh, there you go. Okay. Thank you. All right, front row, next question. So when you, I see that you're on Logos Bible software now, uh-huh. but when you do the little word, the little word charts, yeah, is that Logos too, or is that something different? That's also Logos, yeah, yeah. So, um, for example, you can pull this up, and I sometimes I make this more complicated than it needs to be. So I look at the Hebrew text and the Septuagint Greek text. Let's turn all those off. All right. 
And uh, so, like, if you want to look at the word for almonds, ripe almonds, and uh, shakak, shakade, there we go, and bring up a word study there. So this brings up your color wheel, this brings up some of the other uh, charts and some of the things that you can do for uses that shakade occurs in the Old Testament. You can look at those verses there in Genesis, Numbers, Ecclesiastes, and Jeremiah. You can see some of the other cognate forms. And that's right, because it's watchfulness and, wake, and waking. We did see some of this in the Galatians series. So I'm going to go find those notes also, and uh, we'll discuss that. So yeah, that's how, that's how you get to some of those. Yeah. All right, back row. Oh, we're keeping uh, Carmen running the time. This is good. <laughs> okay. Now, King David, he, committed, he continued to sin all the way through his life. Mm-hmm. And he was a favorite of God. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he asked for forgiveness. Okay. How about us today? It may be in the same situation. Oh, absolutely. Right. Uh, would he continue to forgive us and all these things like he did to King David? Absolutely. So, I believe know, that's First that's John 1, 9. If we, he was one of the worst ones that we had. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah, murder and adultery. and, yeah, and every, all the way down the line. But see, he is, he's the only man in the Bible called a man after God's own heart. And I believe it's when he gets, when he's under conviction, he's, he's humbled and he confesses and he throws himself on the mercy of God every time. And, and that's it's a great pattern for us because no matter how many times we sin, how many times we fall short, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, with him, it seems like it's 24-7. You know <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's right. That's right. So just keep, keep, uh, keep confessing and, and be an imitator of David at that point. That's a great example. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you. All right. Good questions tonight. Anything else? Going once, going twice. I have been asked about get delivering a uh, missionary report. All right. Thank you, Carmen. Um, and I hadn't really thought about it. I figure, I mean, I've been to Ukraine eight times just listen to one of the other seven reports and yeah what else but but there there actually are new details and there are uh, updates and different things so i should i should give a report and that is the that is the pattern and when when a missionary journey is complete they return to the congregation that had sent them forth and they gave a an encouraging report so um i will look at the calendar and see of course we just had eleanor that was here last weekend and we do have the gideons coming up on the 21st and so we're, we're packing a lot of missionary reports in the same month but i'll see if um maybe one week from tonight i'll take a wednesday night to uh to kind of show you the pictures and talk about the things in kiev and then kind of lean towards that either one week from tonight or two weeks from tonight we'll, we'll give a wednesday over to uh to a kiev update and, and uh talk about that so stay tuned uh stay tuned for that all right we are in philippians and so let's take a look at it again in philippians 1 and uh we're headed towards the confidence in verse 6, and confidence is a, is a great thing. You want to have confidence, and uh, we'll talk about that. In fact, uh, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of verses related to uh, confidence, which is really uh, persuasion, and uh, we'll discuss that as well. But we still have to tie together, I think, some real vital things in verse 5 that we uh, touched on before my trip and 
even uh, we almost got through the entire thing, but it's not. I don't mind teaching it again and and, and reminding us of what this is about because he talks about in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, and the participation is a fellowship. It is a participatory fellowship. I do not want to update Windows. Let's not do that. How about if we pick a time? Some other time. Not now. My apologies. This is terrible. Let's go for 11.45 p.m. And then leave me alone. All right. There we go. Okay. Thank you, Microsoft. (laughs) Interrupt my class with a Windows update. All right. Um, What was I talking about? Oh, verse 5. Part of his thanksgiving. And we've got a lengthy section of thanksgiving here. And it starts in verse 3, and it goes on down. In fact, it's going to lead into additional prayers uh, beyond the thanksgiving. But he says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And remember we discussed thanksgiving and remembrance as being primary prayer practices of thanksgiving and remembrance. And most believers don't think about this. For most Christians, prayer is all about gimme, 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 right? Prayer is all about I need, I need, I need, and help me, help me, and all this other stuff. And uh, the, the very, I think it's a childish approach to prayer, which is just self-oriented to my problems and take care of me. But really, the primary prayer practices we see Paul illustrate, and we see not just here, but throughout the New Testament, there is thanksgiving and there is remembrance. And, and that active remembrance is, is our blessing to, to rehearse how God has been faithful. And, uh, you know, you can recount 20 years of faithfulness or 90 years of faithfulness or what have you. That empowers everything else. You know, what kind of prayer life do you have looking forward when you have all those years of thankfulness looking back? You know, it's a marvelous way to uh, orient to, uh, to God's grace. So we have this here. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. And so these, these are offerings. These prayers are offerings, right? They're like sheep and goats, only not so bloody. They are, they are offerings. We are bringing them. We are presenting them. We are ministering as priests when we pray. And uh, if you've not yet grabbed onto that, stay tuned, because we got Hebrews coming up. And Hebrews is the book of our priesthood. And we're going we're gonna to get a lot of meat when it comes to uh, active, fervent, effectual prayer life and what it means to serve in the Holy of Holies. Not the earthly replica, but the reality. And uh, it's going to be powerful for us. So we get a little bit of a preview in, in this text here. Always offering prayer with joy. All right? And, and I've, I've started to think of that joy component or that joy ingredient as the, the drink offering, right? As the cup that goes with the other sacrifices, it goes with the animal, it goes with the, the meat that gets offered up. You have the cup that you either drink or you pour out depending on the sacrifice that you're, uh, that you're operating with. But uh, in, in, the, in the animal ritual, a cup was added to the, to the offering. And that's what we get to do. We get to add joy to our prayer offerings because even though we haven't seen the answer yet, we know the answer's on the way. We know that God is the faithful one who hears these prayers and He will answer. So we can offer every prayer up with joy in my every prayer for you all. Then verse 5, 
in view of. In view of. And so we have a purpose clause. We have a, a context that in our prayers we don't lose sight of certain things. And it was Paul's remembrance of the Philippian participation in the gospel that fueled his joy. In fact, it was the joy ingredient. I think the joy ingredient was supplied by their participation, their fellowship participation in the gospel. And uh, that's something that was missing in his prayers for Corinth. <laughs> okay? He had a lot of prayers for Corinth, but he didn't have a joy ingredient added to those prayers uh, because they didn't, he didn't have the same uh, participation fellowship by the Corinthians that he had by the, the Philippians. So it's a big difference. All right. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day until now. And that's really where we left off. And we want to kind of get right back to that and remind ourselves that there's nothing wrong. In fact, I think there's everything right with giving Christ the glory for everything that he has done from the first day until now. There's nothing wrong with recounting what God has done, okay? And this is not a human exercise. This is not humanity that wants to dwell in the past, or this is not uh, any kind of a gloomy, uh, you know, days gone by kind of a thing, old lang syne, where we're we're really uh, lamenting how terrible things are now and wishing we could go back to some golden age when things were better. Okay, that's that's pathetic. That's human, and that's we're, we we know what that's about. Okay, that's not what this is. This is a recounting of God's faithfulness, and He was faithful on day one. And he was faithful on day two. Faithful on day three. He's been faithful every step of the way, and Paul wants to give God the glory for that exact for that exact thing, every step of the way. And so the emphasis comes on day one, and that's what we see here. So. Let me skip forward to uh, some of these other slides. And this is kind of fun. One of these slides is what we're looking at. Let's go to that one. The joy component of Paul's prayers were in view of, that is, or based upon, the Philippians' fellowship participation in the gospel from day one. And uh, when you go back to day one and, and you have that fragrance of memory, and you have that glory for Jesus Christ based upon what He has done, then it's a, it's a, it's a joy to recount those things, to, to tell those stories over and over again. And that's what Paul's doing here in his, uh, in his prayer life. We talked about koinonia, we talked about fellowship. Now, where we ran out of time, and I didn't quite do all of this, and there's, there's, I did four out of the five items, and so tonight I want to get you item number five. In order to get you item number five, I'm going to go ahead and re-give you one through four. (laughs) All right? Just so that we know the context of what we're dealing with. What did Paul mean by day one? What did he mean by day one? All right? Plus it's been a couple of weeks and you've slept since then and and maybe you don't remember what we talked about when we went through this. But what was their first day of gospel fellowship participation? What was that day one he's talking about? Clearly it was special to Paul. Clearly it's something he talks about, okay? You know, and, and you guys I'm sure get bored every time I tell the same stories over and over again, which is, you know, half the reason why it's fun to take mission trips. You know, you go overseas and you get a whole crowd of people that hadn't heard your stories all those times, so it's brand new for them. And you get to tell those stories. But from day one, 
It's fun to talk about the very first Wednesday night I ever visited Austin Bible Church. It's fun to tell that story. And if you're bored with it, I'm sorry, but it's, it's, I can't change the story. It's, it's what it is. And uh, when, I, when I first saw Sharon and, 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 and the joy is there. All right. But you have, you have the testimony of how faithful God has been. Jesus did this on the cross. All right. So I'm going to take one side trip and then I'm going to return to what we did. But you understand when Jesus was on the cross, what did he do? Psalm 22. What did he do? He recounted God the Father's faithfulness. So join me in Psalm 22. This is my one side trip for the night. May I take a side trip? Yes, I may. All right. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, David had an experience that caused, prompted him to write these verses. And that experience in the life of David, I think, was a, was a vision. I believe God took him forward and showed him the cross. And showed him the cross from the eyes of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because everything is related here in the first person. And then Jesus recites this while he's on the cross. Written a thousand years at a time. He says, far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. You ever feel like you're, you're, the answers to your prayers are, are nowhere near where you are now? Right? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Jesus had a day and a night right there on the cross when the darkness fell. And in the, the six hours, he had it right there. But he says, yet you are holy. O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, in you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. And so he's going to recount how faithful God has always been in his life, in his nation's life, and uh, to the fathers and everyone. And, uh, and he, then he re- recounts it himself. Okay? Let me get down through here. He says uh, in verse 5, To you they cried out and were delivered, and you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. We have very little that describes what Jesus looked like, what his personal appearance was like. Uh, We have uh, Isaiah 53 that said he was not attractive, (laughs) that he had no stately form or majesty that we should be attracted to him, and uh, that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And here we have, I'm a worm and not a man, a reproach and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because, does he really? He delights in him. Do you know how ugly this is? You know, if God loves you, he'll get you off that cross. You know, he'll answer your prayer if he's delighted in you. He'll answer your prayer if you've deserved it. But clearly, since you're still hanging on that cross, God must not love you. What's wrong with your walk? Why aren't your prayers answered? You see how ugly this is? And Jesus faced this, David faced this, we face this all the time. They want to mock the, the God we're serving as if he can't hear our prayers. So he says, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. And I like verse 9. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. And so he's recounting, and literally day one. (laughs) You know, how do you get much more day one than the day you left the womb, right? All right, most of us don't remember that, but 
Uh, there it is. Okay. So this, that's my side trip. And, and I think we, we ought to imitate that. We ought to recount that. And, and failure to recount that, I think, uh, you know, when do you get bored with telling your, your story? When do you get tired of telling your testimony? When Does it ever get old talking about how you received eternal life? <laughs> it shouldn't. If it does, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll try to, to reignite some kind of enthusiasm and appreciation for not going to hell and, and, and the grace of God that, that is at work. Okay. So there's day one. Now, to see day one is critical. He's confident moving forward. You know, we're going to build on verse 5 when he talks about your participation in the gospel from the first day even up until now. And then he's looking forward. He says, I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Because once you're done recounting everything up until now, you realize God's just getting started. <laughs> you know, that's just a beginning. Everything leading up until now is a beginning and it's not yet perfected. It will be perfected, but that's moving forward. And so we, you and I need to develop a, a, a practice whereby we can indeed recount the past, giving Him the praise, giving Him the glory for every step of the way, but then also have that persuasion, have that confidence looking forward, knowing that everything up till now is preparing us for what's coming up. And that's uh, what, we're, what we're reaching forward to. So what was this day one? It was clearly special upon it. We talk about it in financial terms, and that's where all the commentaries go, and that's where all the commentaries stop, because everything's all about the money, okay? And I don't mind, I agree. I think in the immediate context, that is the primary application. This is, there is a lot of thankfulness related to, related to the funds that Epaphroditus was able to bring from Philippi and support Paul's imprisonment here in uh, in Ephesus. So day one is clearly special to Paul. Now, in the matter of giving and receiving, you want to answer this question, what was day one? In the matter of giving and receiving, day one was when they sent a gift to Thessalonica. That was day one. And Paul's going to talk about that in chapter four. And all of the the verbal links and all of the the connections between chapter one and chapter four are obvious. They're undeniable and we want to accept them for what they are. In Philippians 4.14, he talks about the uh, circumstances and how they're sharing with those things and how um, they had a season where they couldn't. They had a season starting in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Now at last, say, you have revived your concern for me. I think this passage is conclusive that we're talking about an Ephesian authorship of the, of the text not a Roman origin of the text 10 years later, but an Ephesian origin of the text. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And he goes on to describe, that's all right, God's faithful. It didn't come from you, but I learned how to get along with humble means, and there you go. I can do all things with Christ who strength, with, through Him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, verse 14, you have done well now, now that you've revived your concern and now that the opportunity is there, you, you have done well to share with me. Remember sharing? That's the fellowship from chapter 1. And that they were, had that sharing, that fellowship participation in the things of the gospel. You have done well to share with me in my affliction. And uh, goes on to describe these things. You know, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel... 
after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. So uh, Paul was making tents in Corinth until the funds came from Philippi. And then he was able to be freed from the tent making. He was able to, to center himself on the ministry. Even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So um, that even in Thessalonica is even before day one related to, uh, related to that. So if that's the first day, that's the first day of their financial participation, and it continues, and even until now then, we would understand that as the occasion of their revived concern, the opportunity to send Epaphroditus, the opportunity when Epaphroditus arrived, and, and he did. Verse 18 says, I received everything in full. I have an abundance. I am amply supplied. And, and really, we can think of Philippians as a thank you note for the funds that, that Philippi sent through Epaphroditus. It's a four chapter long thank you note. and It's got tons of doctrine. <laughs> but we can think of it in, in that way. I skipped over verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Yeah, he benefits because he received the cash, but they benefit more. It's more blessed to give than to receive. They benefit eternally. They're laying up treasures in heaven. This is a flock that's being richly rewarded by God's grace. And so uh, it goes on. You know, if, if you're giving with the right motivation, it is eternally rewardable. If you're giving with the wrong motivation, it's wood, hand, stubble. And you're going to watch it go up in flames at the judgment seat of Christ. And, uh, and thankfully by then, of course, <laughs> your sin nature will be gone. And you won't, uh, you won't argue with God about you know, the mistake He's making in burning up all your, all your good works. Okay? You will uh, have your sin nature removed and you will agree with God. And you'll thank Him for burning up all your human good works that are no good in the sight of God. And you'll agree and say, yeah, thank you Father, those are filthy rags. All my righteousness is as filthy rags. So, uh, I have received everything in full, have an abundance, I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And this was their priority. And they weren't worried about what it was costing them or what, what, uh, how they were being hurt by their ministry. It says, my God will supply all your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Okay? Cross off that S. It's not needs plural, it's needs singular. My God will supply all your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So don't sweat it and uh, quit complaining about some ministry that God's opened up for you. He is providing. He is faithful in, uh, in all these things. All right, so that's day one in the, in the matter of giving and receiving. And I took that language out of uh, verse 15. No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Now, so that's day one and on that basis. I think we can approach day one on other basis as well. How about in the matter of hands-on service? In the matter of hands-on service, it came even earlier. It came earlier than um, the, the funds they sent to Thessalonica because the hands-on service was taking place while Paul and uh, Sylvanus and Timothy were still there in Philippi. In the matter of hands-on service, it was when Yodi and Syneche and Clement shared Paul's gospel struggle. And these clues show up for us in uh, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. 
backing up even earlier than the money passage. And um, I don't know, it's, these verses are usually preached about, you know, telling women to get along, <laughs> you know, Yodi and Seneki, here's two women that can't get along. Well, all right, you could preach it like that, but I think you missed the point. It's like doubting Thomas. Everyone wants to jump on doubting Thomas, you know, well, okay, but hey, wait a minute. There's more to preach about Thomas than just, you know, one expression. And look at these, uh, yes, I urge Yodi and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. So each one gets their own parakaleo. And he's urging each of them. And then he says, indeed, true companion. Who's that? I ask you also to help these women. And then this description, who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Now right there, what do we have? We have the fellowship sharing that we're talking about in, in chapter 1. Fellowship sharing. And we have the gospel. Again, what we're talking about in chapter 1. Paul's thanksgiving joy came in view of their fellowship sharing in the gospel from day 1. So I think there's a bigger picture involved than just the money they sent to Thessalonica and the money they sent to Corinth. There was fellowship participation earlier than that. And it came uh, through Yodia and Syneche, okay? Before they were fighting with, with each other. And also Clement. And also Clement. He shared in the struggle of the cause of the gospel and shared in that agony, right? Agonology, the struggle. Together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers. How many more were there? It's plural when he talks about the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So there was a hands-on service that took place while he was there in Philippi. Now, we don't know specifically. Acts 19 doesn't give us that kind of detail. Or Acts, I'm sorry, Acts 16. It's, was it in the, the jail that night? Was it in the Philippian jailer's household afterwards? Was it uh, in the process of, uh, of that? Was it with the demoniac girl? Because there was, there was some time. When you go back to Acts 16, let's, let's do that. Let's look at Acts 16. We find that there was ministry there for days leading up to the day they finally got thrown in jail. And the day they finally got thrown in jail was the day that they finally got tired of this demoniac girl yelling at them. In Acts 16, verses 16 through 34. And um, this is a lengthy section. I won't read the whole thing. But we'll notice here um, there was a slave girl having a spirit of divination and who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. And following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. <laughs> you know, demons testifying what, what Paul and, uh, and Silvanus and Timothy are all about. And she continued doing this for many days. Okay, Luke, tell me more. All right, but he doesn't. This is part of Luke's omissions. Luke doesn't give us the detail. Is this when Iodi and Seneki, were they involved in this? Was Clement involved in this? Were the other fellow workers involved with this? How many people were on board with this ministry? Because they were fellow workers sharing in the struggle. Okay? And, uh, well, we don't know. But for many days. And, and Paul uh, was greatly annoyed. 
turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out of her at that very moment. And you know, of all the reasons to, to do a work of service, <laughs> you know, you know, don't cast out the demon because you, you care for the girl and you want to see her saved or anything like that. Just, you know, she's irritating. <laughs> so, you know, make her stop. Okay. And, and, and again, I, w- I want to know more. I wish Luke would have recorded more detail on this, but um, perhaps he was under orders to not cast out the demon right away. Maybe there was, you know, he wanted to earlier and the Lord kept saying no, no, no. And then finally Paul just had it up to here and said, all right, I'm done with this. And uh, we don't know. But this was then the episode that puts Paul in jail. Of all the things to go to jail for, her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, so they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them to the marketplace before the authorities. And I don't know what the charge is. You know, but, and now, now, to be fair, from their standpoint, um, Paul damaged their slave. <laughs> you know? This, this, this is like killing the golden goose, right? I mean, this, this girl can't tell the future anymore, and, and so, yeah, yeah, their, their meal ticket is, is now gone. And, and, and so I understand from their pagan worldview why they're mad. And uh, so they drag them before the authorities, and when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. You know, you like that. Disturbing the peace is always a nice, vague, general kind of charge. Um, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. And then, of course, it's a big deal that Philippi is a Roman colony. These are Roman citizens. This is Roman sovereignty. And, uh, and uh, the Jews have been expelled from Rome. There's reason to believe they were expelled from every Roman colony. And there was no synagogue. Uh, there was, uh, Paul just had to find a place of prayer down by the riverside. And so... Uh, pointing out that they're Jews, pointing out that they're causing trouble. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a guilty verdict right there. This, this, this trial doesn't last long. And so uh, the crowd rose up and tore their robes and beat them and threw them in jail. So where were Yodi and Syneche in all this? Okay, Because they were involved in this service somehow, one way or the other. So we don't know. Was it in the jailer's household? Was it with the other prisoners? Was it the demoniac girl? Was was one of the two? Was, was Yodia the demoniac girl, or Sinaki? You know, we don't know. We'd like to know more. So there's the matter of giving and receiving. Then there's the matter of hands-on service. Either one of which could be defined by our expression in chapter one, when Paul says, "In view of your fellowship sharing in the gospel from the first day until now." We can think of it financially. We can think of it in terms of hands-on service. And it's good. It's good to think in these terms because that's how we operate in the church age. It's how we operate today in the body of Christ. There's some things that we, that we fellowship in financially, uh, but not hands-on. There's other things that we participate in hands-on, but not financially. There's other things we participate in both. See, And there's more than that. It might have even been earlier than that. Because in the matter of hospitality, it was when Lydia opened her home to Paul's traveling team. In the matter of hospitality, there was fellowship in the gospel earlier than Yodi and Syneche. Fellowship in the gospel before any work was done. Fellowship in the gospel just by opening her home and saying, hey, um, you can stay here. 
That's a fellowship sharing in the gospel. And so we back up to verses 14 and 15 here. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. Notice, a worshiper of God. Okay, How many of these folks were Old Testament believers that all they needed was a little bit of an update to let them know that the Christ had died on the cross, had been buried and raised again and ascended to the Father? And they uh, had the opportunity then to receive the Holy Spirit and be ushered into the church age. Okay, That's a ministry that's very common in the book of Acts, but uh, we don't relate it too well in our day and age because we never encounter Old Testament believers. Um, But they did significantly in, in different places. So she's a worshiper of God. She's listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Is that not a fellowship sharing in the gospel? If God opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. I think we can see a connection here that would be very much consistent with our description in Philippians 1. And when she and her household had been baptized, notice it doesn't say saved, it doesn't say believed, but it does say baptized. Okay, She was already a worshiper of God, why does she need to be baptized? Because she's an Old Testament believer and now she needs to identify with the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. She needs to cross into the church age. And this, this is common in the book of Acts. And so they're going to be baptized, they're going to be ushered into the body of Christ through the laying on of hands of the apostles, they're going to get the Holy Spirit, they're going to receive all the things you and I get the day we, we get saved, right? Because none of us were saved in the Old Testament. We were all saved in the church age. So she and her household had been baptized. She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord. Remember, spiritual gifts are given on a grace basis. You can't earn them or deserve them. But ministries, ministries are awarded on the basis of faithfulness. And if you are faithful in the little things, you'll be entrusted in bigger things. And if it's demonstrated that you're not faithful, if it's demonstrated that you're whatever, all right, then you're not eligible for future ministries. Those ministries are taken away. So if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so this is this then provided for Paul and his team, it provided a, a place of hospitality. They were able to stay for those many days. How many is many? Don't know. But um many days. All right. So we have the matter of giving and receiving. We have the matter of hands-on service. We have the matter of hospitality. But I think we can find a day one even earlier than that. Even earlier than Lydia's offer of hospitality. In the matter of prayer worship, what was day one? In the matter of prayer worship, it was verse 13. Back up another verse. That first Sabbath down by the riverside. Okay, We should sing that song before we leave tonight. Down by the riverside. We'll get a guitar. Doug, did you bring your guitar? All right. Down by the riverside. Remember, there was no synagogue. Normally Paul would go into the synagogue when he hit town. There was no synagogue. And so he's looking around and he thinks, you know what? I bet you down by that river I'm going to find a place of prayer. And that's what he found. 
Okay, that idea popped into his head. So, <clears throat> verse 13, on the Sabbath we went outside, and this is, he'd already been in town for a few days, we don't know how many, because he arrives in verse 11, uh, putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Simothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis. Neapolis is the port uh, that served Philippi, and from there they walked to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. Wherever, you know, a hotel, an inn, tavern, someplace. Okay, a Roman colony is going to have venues for that kind of thing. And uh, so there they are. And there's for some days. I don't know how many. Some is some. It's less than many. Okay. And, and clearly, I think it's less than seven because... In verse 13, it says, on the Sabbath day. Well, how long did it take to get to the Sabbath day? So on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing, I like that, supposing. Want to have a fun word study? Look up the word supposing. Okay? That's what you'll be accused of. The Greeks have a way to communicate supposing. Right? It's not faith. It's not believing. But that's what we get accused of. Unbelievers say, well, you just, you just suppose this is true. No, I believe this is true. I am accepting by faith the trustworthiness of God's promises. And that's not supposing. Okay? They're supposing. Anyway, Paul was supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Can we think of this as day one? Okay, Because it's earlier than all those other day ones. We can think of this as day one, and it was a prayer service, and uh, it's a place of prayer, so okay, we'll, we'll join you in that, and then we'll begin to speak and say, hey, why have you assembled? Why are you here for the purpose of prayer? And uh, again, this introduces us to Lydia, and she was listening in verse 14. Listening to what? Paul was speaking, all right? Paul was, was teaching. Paul was communicating. She was listening. That's when the Lord opened her heart. I'm always uh, leery when somebody tells me, oh, God put it on my heart. Really? Okay? But if you are under teaching and you are listening to the Word of God, all right. I believe you. (laughs) Okay? Um, But it's always curious to me when uh, folks throw that phrase around. So, in the matter of prayer worship, what was day one? The first Sabbath down by the riverside. And you can think about that. I imagine Paul never forgot that. Never forgot the first time he saw Lydia. The first time he ever said, you know what? I bet you there's a place of prayer down by the riverside. Okay? And in Philippi, there were three different rivers he could have gone to. Good thing, uh, you know, lucky for him, he went to the right river. Okay? But see, God's in charge of all of this. You know, it's the whole idea that popped into his head. God said, you know what? I bet you there's a place of prayer down there by that, by that river. And he went down there, and there they were. And he sees these women. I bet you he never forgot it. I bet you Timothy never forgot it. He was under training. He was learning how this whole process works. And Sylvanus, okay? And Luke, Luke was with him. It's part of the we section here. All right. So, um, all right. But how about before that? What about before they even came face to face? 
before they ever came face to face, before they ever prayed together, they were praying separately. And as they were praying separately, there was a ton of uncertainty. And I call this uh, um, in the matter of uncertainty and need. In the matter of uncertainty and need, they had fellowship prayer participation. They had fellowship participation in the gospel before they ever met. And they had fellowship participation in the gospel because the Philippians were praying, Paul was praying, and God was putting those prayers together. In the matter of uncertainty and need, it was their separate yet parallel pursuits of the will of God. They were fellow workers before they even knew they were fellow workers. You know, you hear about a a church and they're looking for a pastor, so they're praying. And then there's a pastor, he's looking for a church, so he's praying. (laughs) Lo and behold, okay, God puts those prayers together. And what was day one for them? What was day one when they became fellow workers? They didn't have to know each other to be fellow workers. They were fellow workers because the Holy Spirit was coordinating their prayers, was coordinating their heart's desire, was coordinating their convictions, even through uncertainty and need. So we back up even earlier than verse 13. Let's look at verses 6 through 10. And it's kind of curious to me. This is on the the missionary journey here. and, And you can imagine, they pick up Timothy in the early verses, right? One through three. And they get Timothy. So now Paul and Silas have a young man to, uh, to train. And, and then uh, they, they go through some other regions. And, and um, the Galatian region, they get to uh, re- uh, report the letter that was written in Jerusalem. And then in verse 6, they pass through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That door was closed. And what would later be a three-year pinnacle of Paul's journeys, he wasn't allowed to go there yet. Wasn't allowed to go into, into Asia yet. And then they came to Mysia. They were trying to go into Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And so closed door after closed door after closed door after closed door. It's a time of uncertainty. It's a time of need. And you can imagine, Timothy's probably scratching his head saying why did i join this circus <laughs> you know i'm following paul and he doesn't have a clue what he's doing or where he's going or how does this work okay and a young man gets to learn watching the old man and and yeah every door gets closed and paul just keeps praying keeps going and uh passing by mycia they came down to troas and so they reach the very end of the continent. They're, they're not at the coast. There's nowhere else to go in Turkey. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, come over to, uh, to Macedonia and help us. Now, who sent that vision? And who's this guy anyway? You know, this man in the vision, he gets there, it's a woman, <laughs> right? He gets there and finds Lydia at the riverside. And it's interesting to me why the Lord chose a man for the vision. Was that representative of something else? Was that representative of the, of the jailer that wasn't even saved yet? What was that representative of? Who was the man that was praying? Was it Clement? Was it true companion? The one that Paul asked to help these people get together? 
Who was it? But anyway, so we, see, we saw the vision. Hey, so when he had seen the vision, immediately we, that's where the we appears, sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so this is where, you know, their prayers meshed with our prayers and it all comes together. And, and, and what, what is it that you count as day one? Say, before you even know? Okay. How do you know? It's, it's probably before you even meet the person. Because you're praying about it, they're praying about it, and God hasn't put it together yet, but God's at work. He's absolutely at work. Say, I mentioned that very first Wednesday night I attended Austin Bible Church. They had a prayer meeting. You know, what were some of those prayers? <laughs> well, different things, but including uh, the fact that Rhonda Newton had gotten married in that January, and uh, that had that was just four months before, three months before, and uh, and so that left Sharon as the only single girl left in the church. You know, so well, how's that going to work? You know, Rhonda's married now, and what's the Lord going to do for Sharon? Okay, so they're praying about that. Slightly awkward when you're a visitor. (laughs) You think, well, okay. But it makes it easy when there's only one single girl. (laughs) I'm not that slow. I can figure that out. But see, different things are praying. How about even earlier than that? Even earlier than that. Um, No, later than that. The following uh, August is when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And so my MP unit was assigned to go to Desert Storm. And we were already, I'd, I'd gone to Panama, I was already on an advanced party in Panama uh, with a squad that was getting things ready for the rest of the company to join us. And so we're in Panama, we're supposed to be in Panama, all my plans were, were, were dashed because we were supposed to be in Panama from September to December. And then I was going to get leave, and my, my great genius plan was to uh, come back from Panama in December and then take Sharon to, to meet my parents over Christmas. We're going to fly to Seattle and meet my parents. Well, that was my plan, right? But then Saddam Hussein invades Kuwait. And so we're not going to stay in, in Panama through December. We're, we're getting rerouted to, uh, to Saudi Arabia. And, uh, and we're not going to come home for Christmas. And we're not going to be home till April. And so... Um, you know, there's, there's other plans, other things that are happening. And um, anyway, so we go to war and all this stuff's happening and, and prayer lists are put together. Churches are, uh, churches are putting together little lists and they got names people don't know. They got names and, oh, okay, here's, here's some military names. All right, I'll pray for them. And uh, there's some military, okay, don't know who they are, but their name is there, so I'll pray for them, okay? And uh, wouldn't you know it, my name was on a list like that in a serviceman center in Bremerton, Washington. And Pastor John Eichmann had listed my name there and his church was praying for me. And, and there was a very young uh, John Carnegie and Kim Carnegie and, and uh, their little kids uh, praying on a list of names. They didn't know anything. They didn't know that 10 years later I was going to be their pastor. They were just praying for, praying for some soldier going to war. Okay, And so God works these things together. We're so finite. We're so we're so um, we're creatures of time, bound by time, and we're 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 slugging along one day at a time. And and God's got this glorious plan 
from Alpha to Omega, and he weaves all of these threads together in this tapestry. And it, it's, it's glorious to look back then. See, because we can't, we don't, we're not prophets, we, we, don't, we don't know what's coming up, and we'd be intimidated if we did know what was coming up. So all we can do is look back with hindsight and thank him. Thank him each step of the way. Thank him for, for this and this and this. Thank him for day one and every day in between. And so that's what's happening here. And, and you know, <laughs> what else are you going to do? You're, you're in Troas. There's no place else to go except get on a boat, right? And, and, but you get a dream. Oh, Macedonia. All right. That's where we're going. And, uh, and yeah, there's surprises along the way. You were expecting a man and it ended up being a woman. And uh, okay. So you kind of, you're flexible. <laughs> and you go with what God opens up. But it's, it's all good when He unfolds that plan. Okay. Did you hear Eleanor's report last weekend? Man, you know, she could have never imagined what God was going to do with her, but she just knew that God was calling her and she obeyed. What a blessing. All right, so we have those aspects there. Um, So beyond that, so what was day one? It's hard to pinpoint a day one. Ultimately speaking, maybe day one was before the foundation of the world when, when Jesus Christ agreed to the Father's eternal plan and said, yes, I'll execute that plan. And it goes back before the heavens and the earth. All right. We'll come back on Sunday and I want to look at confident persuasion. Because Paul was persuaded. Paul was confident that he who began a good work in you. And when God gives you the confidence, when God persuades you of something, then you know what's Satan going to do to try to cause doubt there? What's the world going to do? And, and when God is the one convincing you, you can have people t- try to talk you out of it, and good luck with that. We, and we're going to talk about patho. One of my favorite verbs is patho, and how it connects to pistuo. And that the link between persuasion and faith is huge. Okay, And I think you don't understand faith if you don't understand persuasion, and I don't think you understand persuasion if you don't understand faith. I think they go uh, there's a tandem there that we want to understand in this vocabulary. So pastuo is our verb for faith, of course. But behind a pastuo is patho. Behind any believing is a persuasion. Nobody believes in nothing. You have to be persuaded in order to place your faith, in order to co- have your confidence, in order to trust in a promise. And so we're going to be discussing those things. He says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And we're going to talk about that, the confidence we can have of knowing that from day one until now, that's just the beginning. And what's coming up? Perfection. Okay? And perfection is a process. And perfection entails suffering. Perfection entails conflict. Persuasion, uh, the, the, the... Perfection requires all of that. And uh, so we got lessons on persuasion and lessons on perfection, both coming up here out of verse 6. I think it's going to be very useful for us in, uh, in the coming classes. Okay, Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for getting us back into a way of thinking in terms of uh, Philippians. Looking forward to the start of Hebrews. Looking forward to all that you have in front of us, Father. We give you the praise and glory for what you've already done, but we're not resting. We're not banking on that. We're not retired. 
There's more to, to lay hold of. There's more reaching forward. So thank you for being faithful. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.